Amen. Let's do this strong tower. So turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. And today I want to preach a message entitled, What Every Man Needs on Father Day, Father's Day. What Every Man Needs on Father's Day in addition to the socks that you got at church. <laughs> I think we got enough brothers to get two pair. You know what I'm saying? Because I guess half the brothers are on vacation or something. I don't know where the brothers are this morning. But uh, get yourself another pair when you go out to the lobby. Don't, don't fight over the socks. All right, fellas? You know, share, share. And as usual, uh, before I pray and ask God to help us today, would you pray for me? that I can preach what thus saith the Lord and, uh, and pray for me too because allergies have been just messing with me. I didn't have allergies before I moved to Tennessee. What in the world? The devil is alive. I mean, well, man, they're messing with me. And, and this left eye just does not want to get healed. And so uh, I've seen a couple of doctors. I'm going to go to another doctor in a couple of weeks giving me prescriptions. I put eye drops in them, but um, it just doesn't want to cooperate. So as you pray for your pastor, pray that the Lord may heal this eye. You know, Paul had an eye problem, you know, so I feel pretty good. I'm, you know, Paul had an eye problem, you know. <laughs> and he said to the Galatians, he said, I know y'all love me so much because some of y'all would take your eyeballs out and give them to me if you could. So I'll be looking around after church today for a good left eyeball. <laughs> but pray for me. Let's pray. Lord, I'm humbled to have a group of people that would pray for me and who would love me encourage me and bless my family. I'm, I'm honored and thankful to serve as the pastor of this church. Thank you, Lord, for putting it in my heart to do what you called me to do, to shepherd your people, to walk with them, to teach them, and in some way to even model to them the kingdom. Thank you that I get to do this. What a joy. And that I get to preach and teach your word, your holy word. Oh God, would you allow the Holy Spirit to help me, to help us in this moment. To get a divine word in spite of our clay limitations. That you'll give us a nugget, a morsel of truth to walk out of here with a little bit better than how we might have come in. Would you give us the insight that we need? Would you heal and help folks who this day may be a little strenuous to them? Because they may not have the best memories or any memories at all of their father. But I'm so glad as we'll see today that you put men in our lives to be fathers to the fatherless. To be friends to the friendless. But above all, Lord, as we have sang and as we believe... You are our heavenly father, and we're your children by adoption through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So Lord, may this moment be a powerful moment because you're speaking. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What every man needs on Father's Day. During the Civil War, battles often took place without warning. Major D.W. Whittle of the Union Army used to tell the story of an aged Quaker named William Hartman. William Hartman had a son named John, and John had enlisted into the Union Army. And old man Hartman heard about a dreadful battle that took place not far from their home. And when the battle was over, this old father, with fear and trembling, proceeded to the scene of the conflict so that he might learn of the fate of his son. The commanding officer told old man Hartman that his son was missing and he had not yet returned to base. The officer went on to tell Mr. Hartman that he had every reason to believe that his son was dead. Hearing the commander's words and not being satisfied, the old father left the base and started across the battlefield looking for his son. He stooped down and turned over body after body, looking at the faces of the soldiers to see if his son laid among the slain and the wounded. But after much searching, he couldn't find John. The night came and he continued his search with a lantern. Suddenly the wind blew strong and extinguished his lantern and old man Hartman stood in the dark surrounded by hundreds of corpses. Not wanting to give up, this old father began to cry out his son's name in the darkness. John Hartman, your father calls you. John Hartman, your father calls you. Father Hartman's voice reverberated in the night air, only to be answered back by a deafening cloak of silence. I stopped by here today to tell you that no matter who you are as a man, every man needs a father or a father figure in his life. I just stopped by here to tell you that every man, no matter who you are, you need a father or a father figure in your life. Because no matter how successful you are, you still need a father or a father figure in your life. No matter how old you are, you still need a father or a father figure in your life. And no matter if your father is alive or deceased, you need a father or a father figure in your life. Men, no matter how strong of a Christian you are, you still need a father or a father figure in your life. Consider Moses with me if you will. He was obviously a great man who accomplished much. He wielded great power, authority, and influence. Moses performed miracles, and he even saw the form of God. 
He had a good wife named Zipporah. And he had two sons, two wonderful sons. He, he had a good father named Amram. But he was deceased by the time we get to Exodus chapter 18. Moses had a brother named Aaron and other men like her in his life. And Joshua to hold his arms up when he got weary. And of course, Moses had a deep relationship with God. Moses had all of this. And at 80 years of age, as we come to Exodus chapter 18, Moses, the great lawgiver, Moses, the one who wrote the Pentateuch, Moses who stuck his rod into the Nile and it turned into blood, Moses who lifted his rod across the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted, Moses still needed a father figure in his life. So if Moses needed a daddy, we all need a daddy. And in this case, Moses' father-in-law stepped in to be that older man, that father, that father figure in his life. And Moses' father-in-law's name was Jethro. Jethro. And what I love about this passage in Exodus chapter 18 is that 13 times Moses writes that Jethro is his father-in-law. Just in case you missed it the first time, he writes it again the second time. Just in case you didn't figure it out the third time, he writes it a fourth time. 13 times Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's writing this narrative in the wilderness, he wants every reader then and now to know who his father-in-law was. And my question is, why did he spend so much time letting us know that Jethro was his father-in-law? And in other portions of the Pentateuch, you will see Jethro or Ruel is another name he's known by, called emphatically and specifically Moses' father-in-law. Why did he do that? Why did he write it this way? I'm here to suggest to you that when Moses met Jethro, his life was in a shambles. And Jethro was a man that God put in his life who helped bring some stability into his life. And over the next 40 years, he would develop a relationship with this man in the city of Midian or in the country of Midian. And this man would mentor him and encourage him. This man loved him so much that he gave one of his daughters to Moses. Because you remember how it all happened, right? We talked a little bit about Moses last week and how he had slain an Egyptian with his bare hands. They heard about it and Moses was afraid and Pharaoh said he was going to kill Moses. So Moses fled and he fled from Egypt into Midian. And when he went into Midian, he went to a well and he saw seven ladies who were uh, shepherdesses. They were at the well and they were being harassed by some other shepherds at the well. And Moses, like a lot of men, tried to show off because there were some pretty girls in the crowd there. And he probably had his eye on one of those uh, dark and lovely sisters uh, named Zipporah. So Moses defended those seven girls from those shepherds. And then the girls get their water so they can water their flocks. They get home early. The book of Exodus says that their father... Jethro says, how did you get home so early? 
And the lady said, an Egyptian helped us out today. So that means that Moses, the Hebrew, who was brought up in the, the whole culture and way of Egypt, who even assimilated to dress like an Egyptian, that boy left town so fast, he didn't even change his clothes. He said, I, I, I got to get out of Egypt. And so he shows up there in Midian, dressed in the garb of an Egyptian. And the girl said, an Egyptian helped us today. And dad said, where is he? B bring him here. So they bring Moses to the house. Jethro allows him to live there. And he even gives his daughter Zipporah to him. So Moses, whose life is in this struggle, he's trying to find his purpose and his meaning. At 40 years old, he, he arrives in Midian. And it would be at the end of 40 years that he would find himself on the backside of the Mount of God. And he would experience God in the burning bush. And God would tell him, Moses, I'm sending you back to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so Moses decides to go back. And, and at this time, he has two young children. And as he goes back and he begins to tell Pharaoh that God said, let the people go, Pharaoh resisted Moses. And it started getting real tough. So somewhere in there, Moses must have sent his wife and his two children back to their father, his father-in-law in Midian to stay safe. And so Moses continues on with Pharaoh, and we know all the plagues, and then all the way down to the killing of the firstborn, and how the Jews were saved by the blood that was placed on the doors and on the windows of their homes. And so they go out of Egypt, and they come through the Red Sea. And it's such a great victory that all the surrounding nations hear what God has done against this awesome powerhouse called Egypt through these meager slaves who were Hebrew. Jethro hears about what happened. And he comes out to meet his son-in-law. But when he comes out to meet him, he also has his daughter, Moses' wife, his two grandsons, Moses' kids, to meet him. Because he said, you know, I'll babysit for a little bit, but I'm not going to keep these kids now. I'm bringing them back to you. Yeah, I'm grandpa. They didn't come over to the house, but, but, but they're yours to raise. Can the grandparents say amen? I know, I know them little grandkids done changed your life. What happened to you, by the way? You, you used to be stern. You used to get punishments. You used to actually spank. Then when you got them grandkids, you got soft. What happened to you? Oh, boy. Huh? So Jethro meets Moses. And that's where we find ourselves today in Exodus chapter 18. And the first point I want us to look at today is that every man needs a father or a father figure to talk about life with him. Every man needs that. Even Moses. Look at Exodus chapter 18 verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being. And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. 
all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Two men had a talk. A father-in-law with his son-in-law. A son-in-law who no longer has his earthly father, but now his father-in-law is that older man in his life. And he had just come through a great moment, a great experience, and he just wanted to sit down and talk to somebody about it. Why? Because every man needs an older man to talk to. We all need men in our lives who are uh, lateral with us. We need men who are under us that we can pour into, but we also need older men. Uh, In this age in which we live in, with social media literally being at your fingertips, where you can go anywhere in the world through your phone, you can learn anything you want to learn through your phone. We're in a high-tech, low-touch society. The phones can be a blessing. The information can be a blessing, but it's not a blessing when you're trying to spend time with someone and your face stays in the phone. Before all of this stuff came back in the day, all you had really was each other. And they went into the tent and they talked. Some of us have experiences with our dads when he took us fishing and we were able just to talk. Some of us have had experiences with our dad where we've gone for long walks or long drives with him. We sat on the front porch or the back porch. We laughed at dad barbecuing and and, and we would have talks. But nowadays, because we're moving so fast and, and, and we're getting all this information, we don't slow down long enough to talk. When my children usually want to talk with me, they find me in my office. I'm in my office. I spend a lot of time in my home office. And I'm in there on the computer. I'm reading books. But I know when they come in there and they sit down, it's time to close the book, turn the computer off, because they just want to talk. And it's not always deep stuff. Sometimes the regular stuff, listen to this, is the deep stuff. I remember I was challenged many, many years ago. I think it was at Promise Keepers to make sure as fathers you take time to look your children in the eye every day. Something that sounds so simple, but when we think about it, how often do we look in the eyes of our children when we're not telling them to do something and we're disciplining them? But we're just saying, I love you guys. I like being with you guys. I I like telling jokes with you guys. Not the jokes that the copters told, because those were corny, but man, I love telling jokes. Because when I'm gone, they're not going to get a lot of money from me. They'll get some. They're going to get a whole lot of comic books when I'm gone. But the thing that they'll remember most will be these memories where we laugh together and we talk together. And I listen to them. Because there's a tendency for men to lecture. We always feel like we got to say something. No, you don't. And sometimes your kids don't want to hear all that. And that's one of the reasons they don't like talking to us. They, and then in my case, not only will they get a lecture, they're going to get a sermon with three points, a hoop. <laughs> and it's like, don't be a pastor right now. Just be my dad. 
Moses talked with his father-in-law. Ah. And Moses said, I'm going to tell you all the positive stuff. Let me tell you what the Lord did. So God opened up the Red Sea. God did this to the Nile. He bought the flies. He bought the lights. He bought the darkness. He bought the frog. Man, he did all of this stuff. Woo! Celebrating. But then Moses said, let me also tell you about the hardships. Because if we're really going to have a dialogue, I just can't tell you about the good stuff. I got to tell my father about the hard stuff. Uh, now, some of us only want to talk to dad about the hard stuff. We only call him when we need him. Yeah, we need to tell dad about the good stuff, the stuff he's been praying for and trusting God for. But we also need to tell him, man, the hardships. Like, Daddy Jethro, there was a time when the people turned on me. There was a time where I didn't understand. I, I heard from God and he told me to go and talk to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh made their way hard by taking the straw away from them to make, to make the bricks. They still had their quota and the people looked at me like they wanted to kill me. Dad, it was hard. I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I didn't ask for all of this. I thought it would be an easy three-day journey, which is what God said into the wilderness. I didn't know there would be so much resistance along the way. Because when men talk, they got to talk about the successes, the failures, the victories, the hardships. They talk. So every man needs somebody to talk to. And what I love about Jethro is he listened. This was his son's-in-law's time. This was not his time. This is not Jethro's time. Because, you know, sometimes when our kids want to talk to us, we got to interject about what we did back in our day when we went to school uphill both ways in the snow, eight miles, barefoot, no breakfast, in the rain. <sighs> Just listen to them. Jethro listened. What I also love about Jethro we see here is that every man, point number two, needs a father or a father figure to rejoice with him. So after they've talked and he's heard the good news, look at verse 9. Then Jethro rejoiced, my God, for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Before I get into this point, I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor Chris, my, my dad did not do this with me. My father's alive and he still won't do this with me. Rather than rejoicing with me, my father competes with me. Pastor Chris, man, you're selling me a false hope here. Well, let me say this to you. Although you may not have had this experience with your biological father for whatever reason, that doesn't mean you can't have this experience with your children. The generational curse stops with you. When you fear God, keep his commandments, you rise up, you turn around and say, I may not have gotten that, but I'm going to give this. So on Father's Day, I, I want to instruct you a little bit. Yeah, I know today is about you and you should be celebrated. But make sure there's a reason to be celebrated. May they not just celebrate it because it falls on the calendar. May they really celebrate you because my dad listens, my dad talks with us, my dad rejoices with us, he's there. So, yeah, it's real. 
your daddy didn't do that for you. But that reality is not an excuse or a justification for you not to do that with your own children if you have them. So a new day has begun because if any person be in Christ, the old has passed away and behold, all things become new, even how we parent. And the way children spell love is not L-O-V-E, it's T-I-M-E. They just want some time. Give them some time. Jethro rejoiced with his son-in-law because a good father wants his son to go further than he went. Because Jethro had never done these things before. He'd never known this kind of power, this kind of success. But he was content in himself as a man, again, not to compare himself to his son-in-law, but to rejoice of the hand of God on his son-in-law because any father worth his salt wants his kids to go further than he went. Can I get an amen? You want your kids to be more successful than you are. You want them to have a better house than you have, a better car than you have. You want them to have everything better than what you have or what you had growing up. You want them to do better. Any father, man, we want you to do better. Every man needs to hear his father or a father figure in his life. It may not be your biological, but it may be an uncle, an older man, a grandfather. You need them to say to you, good job. Because men work, men work. God created men to work. And so when men work, it's good for men to hear good job. Just like Christians who are supposed to work, we don't work our way to heaven. We work because we're going to heaven. We don't work to get saved. We work because we are saved. And there's going to be a reckoning for Christians where God will judge us based on the quality of our works. And I know everybody in this place wants to hear their heavenly father say on that day, well done. Something about when a father speaks and says, good job, well done. Even Jesus in his humanity needed the affirmation of his dad. Remember when he got baptized publicly, his mission, his ministry is about to begin He's baptized by his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And God the Father is there. And he speaks from heaven and he says, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus in the form of a dove. But the Father is there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry saying, I love my son. I'm pleased with my son. Now, fathers, we learn from God the Father how to speak to our children. Now, our children are not perfect like Jesus was and Jesus is. But we can learn from that to say, find the good points of your children and bless them and say, you're good at this. You're good. You sure know how to draw stick figures. You're good at this. That's how it starts. You know how to make them little turkeys with your hand where this is the little beak and those are the... You are good at that. And they bring you home 500 of them every week from school. <laughs> with the little crayon drawing. Oh, you're good. And you keep working that all the way through their lives. Especially when you have daughters. Because if you don't tell them they're special, some pants hanging nappy-headed, 
undershirt wearing, no job having. <laughs> Some dude is going to try to say that your girl is special. And that shouldn't rock her world because she hears it on a regular from her daddy. That's why, you know, my kids are like, man, my dad set the bar high with how he treats my mom. So if this dude don't come up in here with some level of respect for me, he don't be like, yo, yo, what's up, girl? What's up? No, my daddy don't talk to me like that. <sighs> man, that's what it's about. You got to tell them they're good. And Jethro rejoice with his son-in-law. Here's a sad story, man. Here's a sad story. Tony Steele, you, you probably won't like this story, but, but you know this story. Barry Sanders is one of the greatest players in the history of the National Football League. But he had a tough father. When other people were praising Barry throughout his career, from Little League all the way into college, his father barely said a mumbling word. And you can see Barry, like all kids, looking for affirmation from his father. But his father not giving it, not giving him praise, public adoration. The older Sanders said to his son, he said, uh, I'm not your friend. I'm your father. What kind of mess from the pit of hell is that? As if a father can't be a friend to his son? Now, we're not so friendly that you don't recognize my authority. But I don't need to walk around talking about my authority and you wonder if I love you. No, no, no. There's a balance to be had here. I'm the father, but my son is my friend. But Barry didn't have that. And on the day when Barry was inducted into the Hall of Fame, his father introduced Barry. And to me, this is embarrassing. William Sanders said, I want to introduce my son to you. My third, or rather, the third best running back I've ever seen. Pop, what, what are you saying? This is his moment. This is his time. This is his day for his body of work. You're going to get up there and talk about your son is the third best running back you've ever seen. And your son, when he won the Heisman, gave you the Heisman, and you put it on a place on the table behind an Oklahoma Sooners helmet because you're more into the Oklahoma Sooners than you are into your own son. And I think this is one reason Barry Sanders retired young. Because he couldn't take not hearing his dad affirm him that he'd rather walk away from the game because it just brought up too many memories of his dad not being there rejoicing with him. Parents, fathers, rejoice with your kids. Be there for them. Celebrate them. Ah, oh, It goes a long way. Thirdly and finally, every man needs a father or a father figure to counsel him. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Moses, you needed counsel? Yeah. 
Because although I know God, I don't know everything. And none of us knows everything, which is why we need people with wisdom in our lives. How, how, how did Jethro counsel Moses? Well, look at verse 13 with me. So after they're meeting in the tent and they're talking and they're rejoicing. So it was Moses had to go to work on the next day. Then Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Let me stop here. The Bible says when they came out of Egypt, there were over 600,000 men on foot. This doesn't count women and children. So it's possible that the Hebrew people numbered upwards of 1 million to 2 million people. That's a lot of people coming out, going towards the promised land. 600,000 men on foot. And Moses has to judge or pastor these people. So he sat down and the people stood before him from morning till evening. Can you imagine being in line and you and your wife having issues and y'all number 1,237. <laughs> y'all been to hurt each other in the line, you know, before you can get to the man of God, which is why Moses may have permitted divorce by giving certificates to folks. Remember how the Bible says that when the, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, well, well, Moses gave divorces to people. Jesus said, now, now, now check your scripture. Moses permitted divorce because folks' hearts were hard. But not only that, Moses probably was so overwhelmed with his counseling load. He was like, look, here, here, let me write this out to y'all here. Here, here. Y'all don't want to be together. You ain't going to make my life miserable here. So I see why, and, and being a pastor and working with people, it's draining. Because people come to drink out of your cup, and they think you have an everlasting fountain in your cup. No, I work for the everlasting fountain. I'm not him. And after you drink out of my cup, I got to go before him to fill it back up. You're talking about ain't no fruit on past the tree, because you keep picking it off my tree. I'm human too. I, I got to get before God. Could you imagine Moses' struggle here? Jethro was watching. So it says in verse 14, so when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, and it's real spiritual here, because the people come to me to inquire of God. I give them a word from God. Jethro was like, man, you tripping. Look at verse 16. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and, and I judge between one and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law, one of those 13 mentions here in eight, verse chapter 18, he said to him, the thing that you're doing, boy, is not good. It's not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out for this thing is too much for you for you are not able to perform it by yourself. He said, man, what you're doing isn't good, brother. You're going to wear out. The people are going to wear out. And the word wear out there in the Hebrew, it comes from a word where we get the word fool from, Nabal. Wearing yourself out means Boy, you acting like a fool trying to do this thing. 
You're going to thin out. You're going to wear out. And it's going to show that you're foolish and not wise by being a one-man show with upwards of a million to two million people. And here's another reason why I, I, I need you to adjust what you're doing. Because if you wear out, that means my daughter is going to be a widow before her time. And we can't have that. And my grandchildren will be orphans. And, and we don't want that. So I need you to make an adjustment. So an older man says, Moses, you not only need a father to talk to and rejoice with, but you need a father to give you some counsel. So in verse 19, he says, listen now to my voice. See, that's how old folk talk to you. Boy, listen here. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear of God, men of truth, hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you but every small matter they themselves shall judge so it will be easier for you for they will bear the burden with you if you do this thing and God so command you then you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said he counseled him he said, Moses, you're great. You, you know how to part a Red Sea, but you stink at delegation. <laughs> you got to learn how to delegate, brother, and share the work. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach. I want you to lead. I want you to model. You'll handle difficult cases, but empower other people to shepherd other people. In other words, make disciples who make disciples. Make leaders who will lead others. And so Jethro steps in and he gives him some counsel. And the Bible says Moses heeded. He listened to the counsel. Moses, a man of authority, placed himself under authority. Oh, I wish I had time to work with this. A man of authority placed himself under authority. Watch out for people today who want to lead over people, but they're not under people. That, you missed that. You missed that. Because a lot of people want to be over you, but you need to ask them, who are you under? And just in case you're wondering, okay, I lead this church, but who am I under? It doesn't work if I just say, I'm under God. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. You better be under God. But I'm also under a team of leaders at the church. I lead them, they lead me. But in my home, I lead my wife, but she also leads me. I'm under her because the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 21, before it ever tells wives to submit to their husbands, verse 21 says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So in my home, I submit to, I'm under her. So when God gives her a word for me, I better listen to what God tells her. But not only that, I'm under her father, who's my father-in-law. I got my own Jethro. His name is Dr. Alan R. McFarland. That's my pastor. He ordained me, and when he ordained me, he scared me. 
1992, after sitting for about four hours getting drilled by a team of ministers, they're asking all kind of questions. Uh, how many angels can be on the tip of a pin? Can God make a rock that he can't lift? Uh, uh, man, hey, man, stay in the book. <laughs> After that whole ordination, my father-in-law stood up, because it's a serious thing to be a leader of God's people. I got my license to preach under Wayne Cockrell in Baltimore and got my ordination from Dr. Alan McFarland. And that brother, before he had them men lay hands on me, he looked at me over the top of his glasses. And he said, if you do anything to dishonor the name of Jesus with your life or with your doctrine, just as we have given you this ordination, we will take it away from you. And I'm like, but I'm your son-in-law, man. How you going to talk to me like this in front of everybody? Because it was serious. Oh, man. You've got to have that older man in your life who's watching and say, what you're doing, how you talk to your wife isn't wise. I see you yelling at your kids all the time. Hey, come here, let, 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 me, let me talk to you a little bit. And watch this too, fellas. Just don't look for somebody to be that to you. you got to turn around and be that for somebody else too. Okay? Just don't be a receiver, be a giver. And you be humble. You say, hey, man, let me talk to you the, the way you... Go through doors and don't open them up for your wife. Why is it like that? Why is it that when you board Air Force One in the rain, you have an umbrella, but your wife is trying to get up the stairs the best way she can? How did that come in? Uh, excuse me, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. If Moses didn't listen to Jethro, he would have worn away early. But he listened to him. The best advice I ever got from my daddy, he gave me some counsel. I just graduated from high school. I'd visited a Christian college twice in Lynchburg, Virginia. I didn't want to go there. There's too many white people up in there. And it was called Lynchburg. I'm like, ah. But I liked it, though. The Spirit of the Lord was there. I liked it. But I couldn't tell none of my boys I was at this Christian college, you know. But God fixed it. Don't laugh, Bernard Pollard, where I didn't get a lot of football scholarships. Bernard always jokes me. Yeah, so nobody was recruiting a brother. So I was like, man, I like Liberty. Maybe I should go there, earn a scholarship. I like, nah, I can't do that. I ain't going to school over there. And so my father said to me, he said, now, son, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But you need to go to Liberty University. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you need to go to Liberty University. So guess what I did? I heeded my father's voice, and I went to Liberty University, walked onto the football team to earn a scholarship because my dad told me, broke my leg. That's when my prayer life started. And I had to trust my heavenly father and get to know him, not just to get me out of hell. Because you know how you pray that sinner's prayer, get me out of hell, but you don't really know him as your father. So he has to break something so you can depend on him. Oh, that's when my dependence started. I'm away from home. Stuff is broke. Can't play ball. Don't have no money. But I made it. God started taking care of me, taking care of me, taking care of me. And at Liberty, I met my wife. And from Liberty, I ended up coming here to Nashville. 
And it all started because I listened to my dad. So that's the best counsel I got from my dad. Boy, I ain't going to tell you what to do, but you need to go to liberty. (laughs) Somebody said, all right, Pastor, I heard the message now. What do I do? You say, I need a father or a father figure in my life. Okay, Pastor, how do I get one? Because my dad wasn't there. My dad isn't there. What do I do, Pastor? Okay, I heard it. Moses needed a father. Okay, I need one. How do I get one? First thing you need to do is look around and see who's already in your life. Look around and see who has been watching you and watching out for you. Just look around a little bit. And then pray. Say, God, I need a father. But then thirdly, a great place to find a father is in the local church. It's in the local church. And here's the thing. That's why we call each other's brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers. Now, the beautiful thing about this church, Strong Tower Bible Church, is that the father that the Lord may have for you, listen to this as I make my clothes, because it's beeping up there. Like, sit down, Pastor. <laughs> the father that God may have for you may be a father of another ethnicity. Can you handle that? If you're white, can you have a black father? If you're Latino, can you have a, a black or a white father and vice versa? Can, can, can you have that? Because peep game, Moses' father-in-law was not Hebrew. He was African. Because you don't have an African daughter who's an Ethiopian if you're not African yourself. So he's an African man. And Moses said, I love my father-in-law, and it doesn't matter what package God put him in. I love him so much that I'm going to bow down in front of him. I love him so much I'm going to kiss him. I love him so much that I'm going to listen to his advice. Some of us are going to hinder what God wants to do in our lives because we have this way that God has to move. He may bring... I was talking to one of our members, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to embarrass him. I was talking to Robert Hall the other day. And Robert took a black man under his wing in the church. I won't say his name either. But, but, but Tremel, he took Tremel. <laughs> That's the kingdom of God. So every man needs a father to talk to, to rejoice with, but also to give him some counsel. So before I let you leave, I know there's somebody sitting here now saying, Pastor, thank you for the message, but... You're not going to leave me hanging over this cliff not telling me what happened to Brother Hartman. Did old man Hartman ever find his son John? Well, we left him looking for his son in the midst of corpses on the battlefield. The father was yelling out, John Hartman, your father calls you. John Hartman, your father calls you. And he continued his cry with more anguish and more volume until in the distance, he finally heard his son's voice saying, Father, over here. Father, over here. The old man made his way across the blood-soaked battlefield screaming, I'm coming, son. I'm coming, son. And taking his wounded son in his arms, he carried him back to the base and nursed him back to health. And his son went on to live a long and productive life. And when we consider the battlefields of life that slays and wounds men every day, 
Every man needs a father in his life who will seek him out and love him well. And until you can get that earthly man to be that man in your life, you got a heavenly father who more than qualifies, who knows your name, who knows where you are, and he's calling you every day. Let's stand for prayer. Amen. Amen. Somebody started clapping. You can clap. Amen. Amen. It's the truth. Let's pray. Lord, you are the designer, the creator, and the originator of family. Wow. And in the midst of earthly families, we get to really understand our spiritual family, how you are our father. How you watch over us and you provide for us. So on this Father's Day, Lord, we want to say thank you to you. And we also, Lord, want to thank our earthly fathers who, doing the best they could, showed us a little bit of you. And for the fathers in the house, Lord, we're asking that with the help you provide, help us to be good fathers to our sons and daughters. Lord, as we get celebrated today, Lord, may we receive it. When we're told, I love you today, Dad, may we receive it. May we not shy away from it. May we embrace it all. Because, Lord, by receiving it, it just continues to pump us up to give love away to our children and to our wives and to our families. Bless every single dad. Bless every dad who, or every man who wants to be a dad but is not yet a dad. Encourage those whose fathers have gone to heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for church. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen, amen. You got to hug about five people before you go. You know how we do it. You got to hug about five.